This programme was first broadcast on Canterbury's community access radio station Plains FM 96.9 and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Now it's time for Spiritual Learning with Priestess Lily. show priestess lily sacred heart healer space holder and spiritual life coach hi i'm priestess lily welcome this radio show podcast i have created to help assist humanity rise the consciousness through connection and holding space for thought activating conversations with heart-centered leaders wisdom keepers, and divine humans expanding into their authenticity and soul purpose. The sacred vessel is a soulful activation, a recalling, reclaiming parts of yourself that you have forgotten in order for us to heal and walk in the cyclic nature of ourselves, Mother Earth, and the universal energy. Today's conversation is going to be activating. So I need you to open your hearts, open your minds, and I need you to really listen. I need you not to pass judgment or activate your cancel culture, but to see the courage, the courage that these women have to want to have a different conversation in a world that is censored. Where asking a question has led many people to be canceled. Where being curious, wanting clarity, seems like we have forgotten this art. We're standing up, using your voice is now feared. I wanted to interview these three women today as I felt that their message and what they were asking, the questions that they were asking from the system has value and needs to be answered. I am with today the beautiful ladies from The Hood. And I have been so looking forward to having this delicious conversation because I feel that this is a conversation that is really, really needed now, an open discussion, open debate, when there are so many people questioning. Um, and so I'm so honoured to be with you, ladies. And so I just love you, ladies, to tell me about The Hood, introduce yourself and how you really got to be part of this um, amazing organisation. Okay, um, I'll put my hand up to start. So my name is um, Sarika. Um, I guess you'd probably call me the founder of The Hood um, and director, co-director. Um, I started this because things um, were very strange out there for the first couple of years of um, this whole interesting period in history. Um, there was a lot of um, information that was lacking. We were getting bombarded with a lot of um, one-sided information. 
So I guess um, I started to support and advocate for um, cases that started to arise after the announcement of the 12 to 15-year-old uh, age group for the jab. And um, I started to see that there was a real need uh, for information that was a little bit more open, um, something that we could debate, something that was a little less censored. And so started to put together a website and in the hopes and the hood is actually, it's a part of something like parenthood, childhood, um, motherhood, you know, fatherhood. It, it is something, it is a community, a part of. So when you look at our logo, it's very purposeful for that reason. And we have intentions to be much more than what we are at the moment. Um, but basically there, we're there to support and, um, once the jab was looking to be rolled out for younger kids, um, we realised that we needed to sort of look at doing something about that. And um, I probably didn't want to raise my hand to do it on my own at that particular point in time, uh, but it, no one else was doing it. Um, and so through that process, I met these other um, wonderful people that have um, come in on board uh, for, diff for differing reasons and different capacities. And I'm super grateful. So I will pass that over to one of them to introduce themselves. So, oh, I'm a mother of one, by the way. So, yes, I'm a mum too. I'm a parent. So I'll go next. I'm Nicola. I'm a chartered accountant, so professional by your qualification. I'm a mother of four children from age four to just turned 13 last month. So teenager in the house, dear oh, God, no. save me. <laughs> I got involved because I was really concerned. I was really concerned because we were told that this was so mild, but with everything, there's risk. So, you know, my oldest is that child that reacts to everything, absolutely everything. And I had just this fear, this worry that just won't leave me, that we don't fully understand enough. There's not enough data. We don't know about the future. And I worried about the lack of caution. So when... I was introduced through a mutual friend to Serica and actually I was asked to do an affidavit at the time. So that was how I became involved and joined because it's a, a cause that's really deep and core into my heart, into my beliefs, because we need to have discussion and we need to have information and data and it to be analysed from both sides, inside out and upside down. And the beautiful Katie. Hi, good morning. I'm Katie. I'm, uh, what did we decide I was going to be called today? I think they gave me the title of uh, legal case manager. Uh, so I have been helping out uh, the hood uh, and had the very privileged position to do so. Um, I guess since the inception, it's been um, a bit of a wild journey. Um, I'm in-house uh, at Voices for Freedom, so I'm, I'm their legal helper. Um, with all sorts of things. And um, the girls very kindly donated uh, me to help out the hood. Uh, and since then it's been a, oh goodness, it's a roller coaster. Um, we've had uh, so much going on with preparing the court cases. Uh, and then in doing so, I uh, ended up getting the role of uh, assisting in Australia, the um, court case uh, there for a similar argument which is about uh, vaccinating five to 11 year olds so 
uh, straddled both sides of the Tasman at the moment and um, pretty busy, but, you know, every day is a, a new a new, a new learning, um, and yeah, I guess it's um, it, it, it's it's incredible. Um, I was saying to the girls the other day in the in my twenty year legal career, um, and doing commercial law, I've met uh, maybe a handful of people that I would um, be able to uh, call friends or you would work with outside of um, the work, and then in the six months that I've been working with Voices in the Hood, you know, that number is blown out of all proportions. And there's a million people now that I've had the pleasure of meeting and know that I could go to for anything. So it's just, it's just different. And Katie, just a quick question. Do you have any children, love? Are you comfortable mm-hmm. with sharing? No, we, we're still practicing. Perfect. Absolutely perfect. Nothing wrong with that, trust me. (laughs) Oh, there's so much I want to talk about. So, ladies, obviously this is a topic that has been very censored in our airways mainstream, the 5- to 12-year-olds, the rollout, the debate, the conversations. Has that, has... Have you been really finding it challenging to hold space and having deeper conversations with people? In a, on a personal level, not so much. Um, but on a, on a level publicly, mm-hmm. uh, if anyone's been following the hood, um, they'll know that no one was actually speaking for the hood for quite some time. Um, that was a very conscious decision on all of our parts and, um, and particularly on mine. Um, you know, when you've got kids and you've got businesses, you've got careers, you've got social standing or you want to stay private, you don't want to be judged, um, so many different things. Um, it's a really scary thing to actually speak out publicly because it isn't just a conversation at the moment. It is, um, it is taboo, you know. It is completely and utterly frowned upon. And, um, yeah, I mean, not only is it scary to speak out publicly just because on a personal level being in front of a camera or um, over the, the radio waves or whatever, you, whatever it might be, I mean, that's enough to be scary, but... Add in the fact that you'll be called names, um, that people will judge you. They will say some pretty awful stuff. Um, that takes it to another level. Um, but it's also one of the reasons um, that I think bravery is so important at this point. And it took a lot for me to finally get to the, the place in which I personally would stand up and speak. Um, I mean, the girls know that that's taken a lot for me. Um, and I'm sure it has for them as well. Um, but it shouldn't be like that. And I think until we all start doing that and actually speaking out and, you know, speaking our truth, I mean, we should not be afraid to ask a question and nothing. If you go onto our website, nothing that we ask on there is uh, conspiracy theory or anti anything. It is just discussion. It's questions. It's like, have you read this? You know, what about this? This is a bit alarming isn't it or let's talk about this it's just it's the way life should be in my opinion um it's how breakthroughs are made it's how we move forward as a society as um, professionals as um, medical industries scientific industries that all of those things it all comes about through discussion debate critique you know um 
what's wrong with critiquing something? What's wrong with saying to the government, you know, hey, man, I, I don't like this. Answer us. You know, how did you make that decision? Why did you make that decision? I don't agree with that decision. Let's discuss this. We are not allowed to at the moment. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's a really scary thing at the moment. And it makes me realise that the fear goes beyond um, an illness. It's gone way beyond that. And it's, it's encroached into our, our lives, our freedoms, our freedoms to <laughs> move around, our freedoms to speak, our freedoms to discuss. I mean, having a conversation like this in a cafe, you feel like you need to have your voice lowered and, you know, you're sort of in hushed whispers. And it's like, why should we? Why should we be doing that? Um, and I think the importance of this case is um, the fact that we're bringing that to the forefront. We're actually saying, hey, we're parents, we're individuals, we are people, we are New Zealanders, and you work for us, and we're asking questions, and you're not answering us. So please, hello, could you listen, and can you give us the evidence that you say you've used? Could you give us the evidence that saying safe and effective was actually truly um, provided? You know, uh, I don't know, that's my bit, but that's that's the biggest thing for me about this case. It's Yes, of course, there's a win and there's a lose portion to it. And obviously, we don't go into something thinking, you know, well, we're going to lose. We want to, to get our point heard and we want to um, raise the alarm bells and we want to review what's going on. And this is a judicial review. Um, we don't agree with the decision that was made. We don't agree with the evidence that was um, provided was sufficient. Um, I'll let Katie talk about that. But really the importance for me as an individual or as a parent um, is that um, we can't sit by and just allow things to um, remain hush-hush and submit to being silenced and um, yeah, feel bad and ashamed for critically thinking. Um, I, I think that's that's something that I want to teach my my child. I want I want her to grow up questioning things. Um, I want she's creative. I'm creative. That's part of being creative. Um, creative, whether it be medically or any innovator, um, needs to question. They need to um, experiment, and all of that comes with discussion and questioning and um, throwing ideas around. And, uh, I mean, I guess the most innovative people of our times were the rebels. You've got, you know, look at Einstein, who, who sucked at school, excuse my French, but, you know, he, he didn't do well at school, but he questioned everything and he wasn't afraid to go out there and um, look at things differently. And, and look what happens when you do that. And it's a little scary to think that we might be creating a society or a situation for our children in which that's frowned upon. Um, geez, where do we go from there? We only have a select few people who are allowed to ask those questions, who are allowed to innovate, and the rest of us should sit down at the back of the class with our hands folded and quiet and listen. No, no, that's not who I am, and it's not who I want my child to be, and it's actually not the people that I really love being around, and um, that's where the hood is amazing because we have brought together so many awesome intelligent, questioning, um, collaborative people. And um, I celebrate that and I want to continue to celebrate it. So this court case is not just a court case. It is um, 
a whole, it has a whole other level about it. And I welcome the mainstream media to ask us questions. I welcome them to, and I encourage them to cover this because uh, we haven't seen a lot of that uh, out there either. And so this is where platforms like this are amazing. Thank you, Lily. And I will be quiet now and let somebody else. Well, we've certainly encouraged the mainstream media. You know, our communication to them has been you know, reasonably regular, telling them who we are, what we're about, and asking for their input. But uh, back in January, they covered a small amount, primarily because we had our first day in Wellington High Court. But since then, they've gone very quiet with us and haven't really wanted to touch on the subject, whether it's part of this whole taboo nature of not wanting to rock the boat or not wanting to say something that will come across incorrect or, you know, they'll get their hands slapped from our government for stepping out of line because they shouldn't have. We shouldn't be existing in this environment. Mm -hmm. And it's sad that we're at the point of needing our legal system. And I guess our legal system is designed to help us in this case. But it's sad that we're at this point that we need to use our legal system to say, hi, let's have a discussion. I know that for myself, I first came across the Hood, your webpage as a mother. Um, I have a seven-year-old and, you know, I very much was seeking information um, around, you know, not my personal decision for me around the vaccine, but my decision for my son. Because that, you know, around a deeper questioning, you know, it wasn't just solely my decision. It was my decision and my husband. So, you know, we really needed to educate ourselves and start looking. We really struggled to find information that was outside the current narrative. And someone actually sent the Hood's um, link to me where I started to look and investigate and really, you know, felt into it. And your webpage, I really felt for me, there were so many open questions and so much questions that activated more curiosity within me more critical thinking and which really you know as a mother and as a parent I don't take my role lightly my job is to especially for you know my son seven is to you know ask those questions that are uncomfortable ask more from you know the medical system ask you know I wanted it I wanted every stone turned inside upside down inside out because for me this was something that um like you ladies like we, we do not know what the long-term effects are yeah yeah I think the questions on that site too I mean they're really good even if you don't agree what's being written in terms of what we've put there they're really good questions to go and ask your own doctor and to use as a basis to start your own questions um, you know and and explore and I um, I know that many doctors can't answer a lot of those questions that are on there they can't give you the evidence um, even when we've done OIAs and things like that um, we often get bounced around and get very insufficient answers like they're just kind of around and around in a circle and they don't actually answer the question they kind of insinuate something but they don't actually give you the nuts and bolts they don't actually give you the correct study because it probably doesn't exist 
and also peer pressure to do things for your whanau, you know, to do things for others. And I think we need to remember that when we're putting somebody else through a medical procedure, it affects them and they have to live with that. Now, I'm not saying that parents aren't thinking like that. They're not thinking that, you know, they're not doing it blindly, but maybe they're not thoroughly thinking it through to the same degree because certain procedures have become very routine in our lives. And so we, we trust, we kind of, um, you know, somewhat do as we're told, oh, okay, we're told we need this, so we're going to do it. And I think this is a reminder to, to question um, things um, and, and to make sure that what we are told, oh, yeah, you should do this or you need to do that or you need to protect somebody else, that the bigger responsibility as a, as a guardian, as a parent, is to ensure that there is good reason to do that. And um, this particular case highlights that zero is not a reason to do that, that there is a real necessity for risk versus benefit. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's lovely that people have real faith and trust out there, but make sure that you're actually putting it um, in the right hands and I guess, again, this is a reminder to the government that people are putting faith in you and that you owe these people transparency. When we think about um, what our government said when, that to, when they were being elected, I remember, I recall this was meant to be one of the most transparent governments that we have had in parliament we've been told a lot of things lately though in the last couple of years haven't we i mean we've been told that things wouldn't be mandated and we've been told that you know all sorts of things and and one of the arguments that's made continuously is that um, this procedure is not uh mandated for this age group Mm. hmm but I know personally a bunch of uh, young teenagers that fell into that 12 to 15-year-old age gap that went out against their parents' advice who were concerned and had this procedure done purely because they couldn't get their driver's license, they couldn't go to the movies with their friends, they were excluded from a birthday party, they couldn't do the sport that they'd trained since they were little to do, Um All of those things, regardless if you want to bandy about the word mandate, um, once you talk about taking freedoms from children, um, they don't have the capacity to to hold fast. There are some out there that have, and man, they're admirable little kids, and I I cannot um, speak highly enough of parents that raise children that actually are strong enough to um, buck the system and stand on their own against peer pressure. I mean, that's just incredible. doesn't matter what you're talking about. A child that is strong enough to do that, man, that's a cool person. That's a cool little human that you're, you're raising. Um, but that doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with the kids that didn't and can't because, I mean, most will find that really, really difficult. You're talking about the, the foundation of, of an adult. You're talking about the foundation of a person. And, boy, uh, I can... I can say from experience being a teenager, you know, you don't want to be the weirdo. You don't want to be the outcast. Um, And you certainly don't want to miss out. I mean, FOMO, geez, 
um, that's not cool. And so turning around and arguing with, it's been argued with us, you know, yes, but it's not mandatory. So what's your point? Well, the point is, regardless of whether you actually make something legal or illegal, et cetera, et cetera, society um, or restrictions um, pretty much does the same thing. And, and nobody's silly enough to think that that is not the case. Now, how many people, I'm sure everyone knows somebody who's lost their job. Mm. I know I do. Um, people have lost their businesses and, and whatnot. Um, that, that's an effect of a mandate that we were told wouldn't happen. Now, I've lost faith when, when we're told that something won't happen because that's only one example of a situation where we were told something and, and that has not remained the case. Um, so I guess this is, a, this is a poignant moment in time in which we can grasp and show people that, hey, we're just, we're just going to stand strong here and we're just going to show you that it's unnecessary and, and you're not going to sort of um, push us around um, in this situation. I mean, the one thing our government was actually very true on is if you jump in your time machine, go back two years pretty much to this point in time when kids were allowed to head back to school, back to their classrooms, to sport, to the community, and they said very, very openly then that kids don't catch it as much. And when they do, it's very, very mild. Now, all four of my children have caught this. And I can tell you as a mum, I watched them sit and play PlayStation, fight, bicker and argue like the four of them normally do, <laughs> thinking to myself, you guys aren't that bloody sick if you're still arguing like this over a PlayStation game. You know, for them, they experienced headaches and very mild fever. It was one of those things that, to be honest, had I rocked up three years ago, four years ago to my doctor with one of my children or four, or four of them and gone, they're not well, the doctor would have said, oh, they've got some viral bug that's gone round. You know, these kids always pick up everything. Just keep them at home until they're well and make sure they're getting fluids. See you later. And I'm sure mm. he would have looked at me going, crazy paranoid parent. So for me, I, look, I reflect back on that moment two years ago where they were trying to give us parents confidence that our children were safe, that this wasn't going to be of serious harm to them. And actually that was the moment where they have actually been, in my view from my experience with my four, being truthful. And then I look on the other side and I think, would I take risks when I know that this is as mild as I do now? I think we're also not saying that one size fits all. There's, there's going to be, especially when you're talking worldwide and, and you're talking about a whole society, there's going to be a child that, doesn't do so well. Um, but that's going to happen with the cold, the flu, anything like that. That's, that's actually just really unfortunate, but it is life. Um, and I think for some reason we've now become obsessed with naming everything. We've got all these variants and stuff, and, and what Nicola says is so true. It's like suddenly we've got names and the name gives it something to be afraid of. Like we literally... Oh, that's a viral rash. Well, that's a fever from a virus. Like it was just a, it was just a thing, you know. Like you just accepted that there were these things floating around and it happened, and you, 
you got through it. And it used to be in the sort of parenting groups online, a bit of a joke, you know, oh, yes, yeah, it's just another something we don't know what it is, but, you know, we'll get through it. Now it's like everything's changed and everything has to have a name. And if you go in and you don't know what the name is, suddenly it's now potentially deadly. And um, it's like, oh, wow. And the thing is, is that if you look at um, progression of, of even a new um, virus, it, um, it becomes less and less as time goes by. And we're seeing that. So, you know, two years on, um, we're, we're looking at a version, the 2.0, or 3.0, or 4.0. I don't even know where we're up to. But um, it, it is... Is, it is it's decreasing in its severity and maybe we can sort of drop the fear now and we can just have these discussions my my child's also had it she was mildly sick she vomited and and that's the thing as kids seem to get it very differently to adults as well so um, most of her friends have had more of a tummy bug like illness to be honest but all tested saying they've got it so we assume that that's what it was. Um, and, yeah, 36 hours or maybe 48, and we're done and dusted and kind of it's funny because you've got to be in isolation now for seven days. <laughs> it's like, wow, you're twiddling your thumbs for, for the other five that um, <laughs> you're still stuck inside. Um, but, I mean, that's our supposed new norm and I, I think a lot of countries have dropped that completely. And I think that we seem to be a little slow over here and accepting things, um, you know, other countries like Sweden and Norway and I believe Denmark and whatnot never even brought this out as a thing um, for kids because it wasn't seen as necessary. Um, and, you know, again, this one-size-fits-all thing, um, there will be parents who feel that their kids uh, uh, require it, whether they are immunocompromised or they have medical conditions that have them more concerned and that's fine because we really are about open discussion and um, pro-choice. Everybody has the right to make a decision for themselves and for their children. And um, I think, you know, nobody wants to take that away from anyone. And if you go to your doctor and you explain the situation and they can prescribe you something, you can do that in all sorts of different forms. I think the, the issue that we have or I have is that this is... Um, being promoted it's being promoted as something that you need to remain healthy now where is the discussion about natural immunity too because apparently now you need this thing to be healthy now my understanding of an immune system and i will openly admit i am not a immunologist uh, but i have done hundreds if not thousands of hours of research now and everything that I've read suggests that I guess, and the way I describe it to my child is your immune system is like a muscle and you need to work it out to be strong, you know? And if you continually, you know, hide from things, um, avoid things, basically do no exercise, how do you, how do you become strong? Um, even if you can kind of take a tablet that makes you temporarily strong for a moment, it's still not true strength. And um, I'm not saying that people need to go out and expose themselves to deadly things. It's just that this is our immune system and our immune system, when strong um, and when exposed to 
the gym effectively. Um, it, it works so much better than anything that we can take to try and um, prevent it. And how can you state something is something, you know, whether it be safe, whether it be effective, whether it, whether it be 95% effective, 60% effective, 12% effective, that all takes time to do. It all takes um, medical and scientific exploration. And um, you need to go through many, many years to actually see how many doses of this you need, um, you know, to what strength, et cetera, et cetera. At the moment, there's a lot of guessing happening and we are getting assurances that this guessing is accurate. The thing is, is that every six months or even less, we're being shown papers to show that, oh, well, what you said a couple of months ago is actually inaccurate. So um, I don't like things being spoken in absolutes when we don't have absolutes. Mm. So, yeah, that's the one-size-fits-all thing. Um, it's You're looking at people who are being injured out there and they are obviously of a physical type that is different to the person who's not. Now, um, I, I read... Um, the NHS, um, I, I got very interested in um, epigenetics and um, medicine. I'm, medicine fascinates me. I'm not anti-anything. Um, in fact, I, I love it. I love reading these things. It, it really floats my boat. And um, the NHS had put that um, epigenetics and um, personalised medicine, this isn't if it's the future of medicine. This is the future of medicine, that the medical community understands now that we are so different and that for treatments to become effective, they need to be personalized. They need to acknowledge that we are not all the same. And how can that be true in one moment and then untrue in another? Um, how can we roll out blanket things that are supposed to be good for everybody and then in the next breath say, oh, well, you had an underlying condition that we didn't know about because you're genetically predisposed because of this. Now, well, hang on. Let's rewind and not roll something out for everybody. Let's do the research, figure out what's going to trigger who and prevent that. This is okay for you, but it's not okay for you. And then let's acknowledge the people that it's happened to. Let's say, yeah, that sucks and that did happen to you. Um, and there are a lot of effects that have come out from um, the new medical treatments that have been put out there um, and they're not being acknowledged. And again, that raises another question, why? We know that when there's a new medical treatment, there's going to be side effects. We know that there's going to be potential for harm. And, um, you know, often drugs will get pulled from the market because there hasn't been sufficient testing. There hasn't been sufficient um, data analysis and real world yeah, exploration and, and exploration on people who volunteer to do it. I don't feel like we've been put in a position to that we have volunteered. I don't volunteer my child to be part of an experiment. I don't volunteer her future and any risk to her future. I don't know about you guys, but that's something that I'd really love people to think about. 
I mean, for me, as I said, my oldest is the reaction child. So from the age of five months, every single one she's reacted to. So I'm not anti any of this. You know, my children are fully vaccinated, but in light of the reaction she had, the last one that she had in mid-November has lasted six months. She's still recovering now. So it's not just now for me. She's in an age where the reactions take far greater toll. You know, she doesn't remember what it was like at age two or age three when her skin just bled constantly. But she knows what it's like now. And the hard thing for me now as a mum is, I'm so sorry. No, she shared her diary. And in her diary, she's writing about how she hates her life. What she can't do, because in the worst of it, she had no ability to use her hands as a mum, I'm sharing my 12-year-old and washing her because she can't. But you know what? She openly admitted that she wanted to end her life. And that was something as a mum I had never thought of when it came to vaccines. But now that's the experience that I've had for the last couple of months. I've got a child who's desperately depressed because of the harm that she's been in. And because of the pain and the isolation that she's experienced, because of her lack of ability to do anything that brought her joy, she was never, ever depressed. She never had these feelings. And as a mum, that makes me weigh something totally different to how another mum would. Because now I've seen the other side in terms of the emotional impact that it has on someone. I'm so sorry. I've actually never told anybody that she shared her diary for me to read. She left it outside her bedroom door. And in our family, our kids have books. So if they feel that they can't talk to us about something, we encourage them to write it. And they'll leave their diary or their notebook, whatever it is, at the door of their bedroom when they go to bed that night. And she did that for us a couple of months ago. And it was just awful as a parent reading those inner deep thoughts of your child and seeing the pain that they were in. So, you know, we talk about the immediate effect of, you know, having a reaction to something. But actually, that's one thing that we haven't talked about is what happens psychologically, mentally and emotionally when you have that as well. Mm. So, and of course, being 12, she was caught by the rest of the mandates as well. So for her, she knew that she was excluded from society, even if she could partake, that she had been excluded. So it was really, you know, it's been quite the double whammy for her. And our conversations in our place now really differ because of her, because we know that there's risks with everything, even when we think it's tried, tested, and we know it and it's been around for 40 years. There's always that one person that has a different outcome. And that's where, that's where the risk versus benefit is so important because sometimes people will believe that that risk is worth it because you don't know and you're never going to know. And that's the argument that a lot of the medical community will make is that we can't guarantee that something will happen to your child. But at least... In those situations, those things have been around for long enough to be studied so that there is a good understanding of what that risk percentage is. And um, I think I, I think what's really, really hard to watch 
is that we're watching people put their kids um, potentially. And actually, to be honest, I'm, I'm really actually proud of New Zealand and um, the fact that our uptake for this particular age group has actually been, in the, in the government's eyes, really poor. Well, I celebrate that because um, it's not poor, in my opinion. It is, there's a lot of parents reviewing um, what's going on. And um, regardless of whether they've decided to make that decision or whatever reasons they made that decision for themselves, there is a lot of caution that is still being used, but there's still a lot of discussion that needs to be had. And, and parents having being free to have that discussion that, that my child was harmed. You know, we've found, you know, I'm, I'm privy to discussions that happen in other groups and there are people out there like New Zealand Health Forum who are collating real stories and putting them in affidavits. And, you know, what's being acknowledged and what's actually being reported um, away from governmental reports is, is there's a huge difference. And, um, and the thing is, is that these, these people are actually going through exactly what Nicola's talking about. You've got people out there who've been injured who who are actually permanently damaged on quite a considerable level and they're being told it's in their head or they're being told, you know, I know, I know of people who wanted to take their lives because they are not acknowledged as being injured. They are told that they've got anxiety. They to they're told that, um, oh, no, 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 it can't be from that. That has to be for some, from some other reason. And... Um, you know, you don't usually wake up and um, find that something really extreme has happened to you, whether you've lost mobility or you've suddenly developed a heart condition of some sort. You know, this sort of stuff doesn't happen as readily as it's happening now. Mm -hmm. um, the numbers, I mean, just look at the sports people out there that are literally dropping dead. I mean, never have we had a, an experiment of this level, you know, um, and never have we seen blatantly so much effect from it but so much um i don't know whether i wouldn't say apathy but just so much denial of of what's actually happening um i mean these companies have been taken to task um many times in courts and lost for things like fraud you know and um all sorts of different dishonesty whether it be paying off people you know um it's just just research it look into it look and look at these big names that are out there and then look at lawsuits ones they've lost and been found guilty of and then we can start talking about liability you know we can start saying well hang on so if this happens to me can i then take them to court well no you can't and the government signed that right away so you can't, no one's going to take them to task. So hmm, let's have a little think and what motivation do they have to make sure that this data is accurate? Why were they hiding you know, this information from us? Why did a court have to then force them to release a lot of their data and their information in which we're still being drip, drip fed? These are all alarm bells that people aren't sort of well a lot of people are actually waking up to it I'm not going to I'm not going to say people in general because that's not fair um, but a lot of people in society still are completely ignorant too um, and I get that that's scary to actually um, potentially um, have that realization that 
companies could actually be knowingly um, putting you at risk. Uh, but again, that's, that's where it comes down to our own responsibility to do our homework. I mean, I don't know. As, as a family for the same sorts of reasons that Nicola was talking about in terms of some pe people being sensitive, that, that's my family too. That's probably what woke me up quite young. Um, I've pharmaceutically injured people in my family um, and that was through negligence in hospital. You know, um, There's all sorts of ACC claims that we've had to go through and now we, we, look, we review all medical medication that has been taken not just this particular new medication any medication and that is our responsibility to advocate for ourselves um, so maybe this is a, a really big eye-opener for a lot of society to to just sort of open our eyes and start really looking at everything deeply you know conflicts of interest um, you know who's paid by who you know um, where is that money coming from you know who's answerable um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot out there that we need to be sort of looking at. And you're not a conspiracy theorist for looking at it. You're not. You're just doing your homework. And that's due diligence. That's not conspiracy theory. That's just put it, connecting the dots. It's going, huh, so if this guy is paid by this guy and this guy does this, does that mean that they're going to be honest with us? You know, like where did the money come from? Um, Anyway, I'll leave that alone. But um, yeah, don't be afraid to look. It doesn't make you a nutcase. Well, I feel like just listening to you ladies, you know, that's our role as a mother. Absolutely. That's our role as a mother. And just with what both of you two shared, like, isn't when that's, I know that for myself, my role as a mother is my greatest blessing. And it's the one thing that outside of being a counsellor, outside of being, you know, Miss Lilies and all the other roles that I have in my life, that's the most important. That's the one job that I want to get 99.9% right, right. So I need, I need to be curious. I need to ask different questions. I need to dig in deep. I need to get really uncomfortable within my own bullshit, my own belief system, you know, for me to be able to make the best decisions that I feel are fit for us. That's why we, you know, that's why, and I know that for myself, my journey, and I've spoken on my podcast very openly about my journey around the around the jab, and, you know, my, my journey and my husband's journey have been completely different. But when it came to my son, we both took our own bullshit outside of the story and really became curious. I think the other thing too is that, um, I mean, parenting is a really tr tricky thing. And um, I think the best thing about that you can do when you're a parent, and I'm not going to be saying, <laughs> no expert here, but is own when you make a mistake, you know? Like it feels like there are kids out there being harmed and parents are just feeling so much guilt. Mm. Um, you know, and I get that, gosh, you know, um, any big decision or small decision when it's your fault, effectively, the way you look at it yourself, um, or that choice is a better word to say, it's instead of fault, because it's an awful term, that choice that you made didn't work out, mm. you know, it didn't go the way that you thought it would be, but you, you made the best decision in that moment and you, 
you made that decision with the best of intentions, but you have to let that go because it's gone now. And now you own it and you, you do better next time. And there are people out there who got one for their kid, you know, and then have decided not to have any more. There's people who have made that decision for themselves as well. And I think that um, we should celebrate that, that learning, regardless of guilt is such a wasted, it's a, an emotion that is just a waste of energy, basically, is what I'm trying to say. Um, but it can be so incredibly important in, as a learning curve. And you look at the brave people who are speaking out. I mean, I was contacted recently by a mum, you know, who had a um, who has a 14-year-old girl. And, and this 14-year-old is amazing. She's actually allowing her face and her story to be put on a on a, um, a sign and, and, and be spoken about. And they've been really, really brave in coming out about that. And, you know, it's, I, I have so much admiration for that child at 14 to put herself out there, but I have so much as a mum, I've got so much admiration for the mum to actually sort of own what's happened and kind of go, well, this sucked, you know, and now we're going to get up and we're going to help everyone else to realise that this isn't something that doesn't happen to you. It does happen to some, you know, it could happen to you and we're going to stand up and, and, um, and tell our story. And I think I encourage people to, to be okay with that. You know, um, yes, we want to encourage people to do their research. Yes, we want to encourage people to, to look at both sides and, and not one source of truth. You know, we, we want people to look at critical information and, and whatnot. But if you haven't, that's okay because you're doing it now. Yeah. You know, like the journey has to start somewhere and, and not shutting us down for, for seemingly being the pariahs of society for, for saying what we're saying and actually openly listening and considering that information. Um, that's the first step in being objective. And um, yeah, that's amazing. And that's awesome. And um, that's, you know, I think Katie actually said it right at the get, at the get go if we save one kid mm-hmm. everything's worth it and that comes down to funding yeah. <laughs> um, nice little segue into the fact that um, we need to get this across the line um, we need to have our our day z in court um, which is june 27th and june 28th and we need to be heard um, and we need people to help us do that um high court in wellington is not um a place that comes cheaply um but it is it is something that needs to be done and i feel wholeheartedly that it must be done and it's really really important i'm sure the girls would um would agree with me um katie do you want to sort of catch us up maybe on where we're at with um the actual case uh, yeah, so where are we up to? So um, uh, there's been a little bit of um, you know, interest. There was a, uh, the initial case that we had at the beginning of uh, January. So um, if we just look at the case as a whole, what is being brought up is questioning MedSafe as to why they say this um, virus in kids is minor and then approving this vaccine and then looking at the government to roll this vaccine out to all and sundry. Uh, And then to put the government on the spot because the government's essentially been the mouthpiece for um, pharmaceutical companies to say, this is safe, this is effective. This has been through all of the ordinary clinical trials. It hasn't. The particular vaccine right now is actually not been through any clinical trial and is different to the 
one used in the clinical trial, um, which went with the application for uh, this jab. So it's, um, it's really putting a spotlight on um, parents, knowing full well um, that uh, not every statement that's made by our politicians um, holds uh, true for long. Uh, it was really important for us to bring this, the interim um, case, because even if we were going to lose it, we knew that we would put the spotlight on the government long enough to stop this age group being mandated. And while they might not be mandated by law, they weren't required necessarily to have a vaccine pass. There were certainly a lot of people that jumped very quickly onto the bandwagon and we started to see an indication that five-year-olds would need to be carrying vaccine passes. So we hold our head up, head up high that uh, the interim case certainly stopped this age group from being mandated and, and put that squarely with in the limelight for the government that you know, they can't mandate this age group, absolutely not. It happened the very night, didn't it? We noticed the first sports clubs issue mandates for 5 to 11. You know, the community came about at that point and stood up and said, no, not for this age group. Please don't. We watched these clubs in light of what was happening and what they were hearing from members in their community take that step back and say, okay, well, you know, we, we would still recommend based on what the government narrative is, but we won't mandate. You girls have blown my mind today. I just want you to know that. And it takes so much bravery and courage just to stand up and ask questions from a system that isn't prepared to deliver it at the moment. And so, you know, just thank you. As in one mother to another mother, to just thank you for your time. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for being brave enough to step out and ask questions when we're in a culture right now that's a cancel culture. Mm. And that's, you know, easier to label people than actually have open debate and become curious. So massive big heart out to you ladies because I know that this would not be easy work and thank you so much for sharing your stories and journey. Mm -hmm.